do you uh do you worry about O'Brien? Uh who's he got pregnant this time? No, 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 the other thing. Yeah, somebody beamed in. Right. Uh took out two of the security guys. Right. O'Brien tried to kill him. Uh what it, why? Oh, because he, he was violent. And All he right. was in the room. And how uh how how did he get on? What did what did the other guy look like afterwards? Uh, fine. O'Brien got knocked out. Woof. Yeah, I know. I assumed that the, that meant that the bloke was a bottle of whiskey. A Frontier. These are the voyages of the podcast Captain Slug. Its ongoing mission to explore strange new episodes, to seek out new jokes and new references, to split infinitives that no one has split before. Captain's Log, Stardate 58. These are the continued voyages of me, Eddie Edwards, and my colleague, Mr. Mark O'Neill, as... I did it again, sorry. That's all right. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, whatever. Uh, yeah, as we trek away through all of Star Trek. Ev- eventually, my crimes are going to be discovered. And <laughs> I've committed them under my real name. So it's it was more about preserving the, the purity of this podcast. <laughs> Anyway, Mark, how you been? <laughs> uh, yeah, been alright. Uh, I have uh, recently been kind of uh, re-deep diving. Re-deep re dive? Yeah, sure. Re-deep diving into uh, Tom Clancy's The Division 2. Oh, right, okay. Uh, which is a... Uh, it's a... It's a what's that genre of game? Um, poor People Murder Simulator? Oh, yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> In which some terrorist has dropped a virus on... Well, in the first one, it was in New York. and In this one, it's in Washington, D.C. And it turns out that the government have a bunch of sleeper agents. So after the government quarantines the entire city and leaves everyone to die, uh, they then send you in and you create the character. And it's, it's implied that it's like, oh, housewives... And uh, and soccer moms and IT consultants—they're all in this division, uh, and you go into it, and you're there to basically mop up um, the mess that the government made by killing all of the people who were trapped inside of the city, uh, who have formed themselves into gangs in order to survive, uh, and uh, it's it's your it's your job to ensure that that doesn't happen. That's um, apparently what the 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 home the home army was for yeah in uh yeah in world war Two, that was actually like a fairly hefty cover like they were like 98 percent useless but two percent were like fucking commandos and stuff yeah. who had like war wounds from what like uh the work from world war one so the idea was that you train them and they would be the sleeper agents and nobody really know who they were and they'd be oh, able to fend right. off if britain got invaded so from what i'm hearing is division two is the video game of dad's army Yes, uh. and it and it was it was it's a case where it it's got Tom Clancy's name attached to it, but is it's, he alive still? No, he's been dead for. I mean, who knows how long he's been dead for? They've been, <laughs> Ubisoft has been covering up um, Tom Clancy's death for I reckon about twenty five years, ever since Rainbow Six. I imagine in my head, Tom Clancy is like the emperor in Warhammer. Yeah. Um, he's just on a throne in a room somewhere. There's a skeleton being kept alive by technically alive. Yeah. Um, and it's just Tom Clancy. And they go in. Uh, with they, his hand's got a pen sticking it. And they run a bit of paper under it. And they go, oh, it's got Tom Clancy's name on it. He must have wrote it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, it's 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 good because um, it's, uh, it's, it's uh, what do you call it? It's a numbers go up game. Oh, yeah. It's a... Uh, uh, you are a level, and the enemies are a similar level, and as you level up, the enemies also level up, but you also find guns, and sometimes the guns are more powerful than the guns you already have. Now, you might like the gun that you have, 
and you might say want to keep it from level 9 to level 13, but the game won't really let you do that. Uh, because it, it doesn't matter. Look, it's 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 uh it's essentially a part-time job. Um <laughs> And to use the word enjoy would be uh, a stretch, but I've been doing a lot of it. So, um, how how are you? Uh, I I saw the Dungeons and Dragons movie the other day. Like it, it is delightful. Um, I am quite enjoying the fact that um, the there's a lot of people who uh, are trying to stoke the culture war flames who would like this movie to fail. And as such, they are trying to uh, attack it in reviews. But they're also deeply uh, hateful misanthropes and therefore have no friends and therefore haven't actually ever played D&D. <laughs> so I've seen um, reviews where somebody said uh, in a review that it's a, a terrible movie that just uses fantasy trappings to tell a story of found family and a group coming together that's a bit trite and compact, which then had everyone go, yeah, that's what that's what Dancers and Dragons is. Yeah. And then somebody attacked the writers because they did a... Uh, they said in an interview um, they were just using the trappings of D&D to tell their own stories. And then other people tried to... And everybody who's played D&D was like, yep, that's, that's what D&D is. That's the thing about Dungeons & Dragons is that nobody involved in watching the movie is going to care that they took liberties with any source material or anything because yeah. everyone, everyone does, does. that. Yeah. yeah, I've run a campaign where Waterdeep was being attacked by jam elementals. Um that's because I felt like it. Um, so yeah, no, that's a great movie. Isn't that a I, bit, I, I, it's about like saying um, they're annoyed that someone has been using uh, Tetris to clear uh, a grid full of boxes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, that's the aim of the game. Yeah. <laughs> I do very much want to watch the Tetris movie. I'm gonna, but I am slightly annoyed that it is a movie about the the, the making of Tetris. Not a movie that I was hoping set in the world of Tetris, in which Hugh Jackman plays an L-shaped block. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> trying to trying to find his line so that he can finally die. <laughs> he's he's the L-shaped block that got dropped first, um, and oh. unfortunately, uh, whoever done it pressed the rotate button too much, so he's like against the left side wall, and he's like one dot along and then three up so there's a weird oh. a weird gap and uh, they yeah. haven't they haven't had the big long one yet so they so there's so there's that there's the l there's a backwards l leaving the gap and then there's one on top of that so that the the net the, the 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 opposite facing l wouldn't you know wouldn't solve all of his problems um no that's what uh. i that's what i pitched in, in, in that exact cadence, uh, and uh, and Nintendo were like, "Are you high?" And I'm like, "Yeah." And they went, "Yeah, we think so because we don't even own Tetris or make movies. How did you get this number?" And I'm like, "Listen, Mister Miyamoto, um, I found it in a phone book." So that's what you do with. Miyamoto's phone number if somebody gave it to you it's like you would that's no I agree with you I'd ring him up and go Alden Mr Miyamoto I've got an idea right <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, did you know this by the way see talking about Dungeons and Dragons a, a very similar thing that I learned uh, this was from another podcast that I listened to called The Weekly Planet uh, just going to give them a plug here so that they can they, their much more successful podcast can give us a plug later um, <laughs> but the, you know the 2000s Dungeons and Dragons movie uh, yes. Do you know how that, yeah, I do. Do you know much about uh, the production of it? Uh, no. No, right. not a lot. So the lad who directed it uh, was... He was sort of the kid of like people in the industry. But in the industry, I mean, I think... Like, his mum was, like, maybe, like, an, an editing executive or something, and his dad worked in, like, special effects. Like, that kind of legacy, right? And he grew up playing D&D, &D, and he wanted to make a D&D &D movie. So he called up, not Wizards of the Coast, but whoever owned D&D &D at the time, and claimed yeah. to be an economics student who was doing a project on Dungeons and & Dragons and wanted to kind of get some insight. And over a few months, got so much rapport with the people at Dungeons & Dragons that he then said, by the way, I have a pitch for a trilogy of movies. 
Let's hear it. He's 19 at the time. They held his pitch and they went, yeah, that's great. Yep, heals, heals the rights, right? So, <laughs> it, I get, I mate, it gets weirder. That's the exact sort of bullshit that TCR would have done, yeah. <laughs> oh, fucking get this. So, he then is like, well, I'm just, I'm the producer of this, but I, don't, I, need, a, I need a team. I can't direct this on my own. Uh, so, he eventually starts getting uh, funders and executives and producers, including, uh, and not simultaneously, Francis Ford Coppola comes on board and James Cameron right now right who is I guess just so excited that this kid's moxie that he's like this is 1990 I've just directed Titanic so I don't need to do anything for a while so I'll, I'll just hang out with this kid see what he wants right he, <laughs> he then went to a meeting at TCR and brought James Cameron along and one of the first things that the TCR executives did was one of them looked at James Cameron up and down and asked him what qualifications do you have to direct this film? <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know, I don't know what he said, but I can imagine that he got up to a whiteboard, wrote Dungeons and Dragons, and then just turned the S's into dollar signs. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. No, I love the idea of that saying that's James Cameron because I like I've looked at I've looked at your filmography here and I see a lot of robots but not a lot of wizards. Uh... Titanic, <laughs> that's some kind of porno. <laughs> T- antics, no Titanic. <laughs> so there you go. But speaking of somebody who who um, has um, somebody who's family in the, in the business and has gotten himself a gig. Um, uh, this this episode of Star Trek had James Cromwell in it, who is a nepo baby. Uh, really? His father was a yeah. His father was a film director, John Cromwell. Did he um, make silent movies? Uh, poss- possibly. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't. I didn't look too far into James Cro- John Cromwell. James John Cromwell. Yeah, I didn't look yeah. too far into him because I was too busy going. Ah, oh, Zephyr Cochran. What's yeah. he doing here? And about three other characters. Yeah, he's he's Zephyr Cochran, and also uh, he's always a British admiral, uh, yep. and he's the farmer in Babe. Uh, a farmer that's in enough. Babe. He is the farmer in Babe. His best. He became a lifelong vegan after that. Uh, is it after that? <laughs> is it because he he kept hearing the animals talk to him? No, the pig talked him into it. Uh, very well reasoned debate. Ah, <laughs> 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 oh, yeah. Uh, he's a bit of a bastard in this. He is. He is. Um, the the plot of this episode, broadly speaking, is don't don't accidentally make an entire army of winter soldiers and then stick them on a moon. Uh. <laughs> yeah. Or if you're if you're gonna stick them on a moon, at least build them a theme park or something. Like give them something to do, or or basic human dignity. One one or the other. Yeah, always, always deprogram your winter soldiers after you use them. Um, like just up, uh, basically, so so that you make sure you put your winter soldiers away when you're done. Uh, <laughs> Back in the box. Yeah, there you go. But but yeah, winter soldiers, bunch of them. Yeah, hundreds uh, of them, <laughs> in, including this guy who looks like he's in things, but I, I couldn't I couldn't really find anything else that he was in that I know. It was in Cliffhanger, uh, which is a movie I know by name, and I saw the trailer when I was a kid. It was it's a lesser Stallone. I don't. The most footage I've ever seen of Cliffhanger is I think from a from a Tech Moan YouTube video in which he <laughs> talks about the virtues of um, Laserdisc, right? Okay. And that you can you can cleanly fast forward. And right, it, it okay. doesn't do that thing that VHS did, where it um, had the like had the tracking bars on the screen, and on the right, DVD okay. where it's kind of freeze framing, it just it just made everything look really smooth. So I've oh, seen right, I've okay. seen that's that's it. That's the only thing I know about Cliffhanger, and I know that the start of Ace Ventura when nature calls is a reference to Cliffhanger. Yeah, that's the thing. I think Cliffhanger is one of those movies that was very in the cultural zeitgeist when it came out, and then has promptly been forgotten because well that's it you pass by cliffs these days and there's no one hanging off them (laughs) 
Fucking Gen Z kids too busy being at home talking shit about friends. The sitcom. Yeah. And presumably <laughs> also the concept. <laughs> yeah, no, Friends is too, friends is too uh, offensive just because they have an entire episode devoted to how Ross thinks that men can't look after children. Yeah. Um, and that's and that's that's fine. Um, uh, and uh, they also make regular jokes about how Ross hates his wife because she's a lesbian. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just because it's boring, fucking milk toast, garbage, shit, old TV doesn't mean that it's also offensive. Now, in Friends' case, it happens to be so. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, leave yeah. Friends alone. I'll tell you what, Gen, Gen Z... Um, if jokes from 30 years ago aren't good enough anymore, then why don't you write your own fucking... Oh, you do? Oh, you're on TikTok. Oh, you're the funniest generation that we've had in years. Uh, yeah. All right, fair enough. Yeah, well, you're never going to be on cable, are you? Because it barely exists. <laughs> you managed to turn talking about horrifying injustices in the uh, the legal system into a form of sketch comedy. Well, well, time that, yeah, well, well done, well done with that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, we, we, we other generations have tried but it turns out when you need the people who, who run the, the unfair establishment say so to, to broadcast the material it, it, it just doesn't get out no uh, no so. alright no. <laughs> so this guy uh, I can't Wilson we'll call him because I can't I can't remember his name because it's been a while since I watched this episode yeah and I've only taken three notes one of which just says Jeffrey's tube reference and I've misspelled yeah, Jeffrey's but- yeah, I think this is the first reference to a Jeffrey's tube, um, which will become very important in <laughs> later, later episodes. In this one, the Jeffrey's tube is big enough for him to walk down. Um, this is the but, only one, I looked this up, this is the only one tall enough for a person to walk in, unless yeah. they were really small. It, it didn't say that, I added that, that was editorial. <laughs> How comes there is nobody really small in Starfleet? Like, it, surely we going to meet at least one alien race that's like short <laughs> uh, with it, it, the race of Jeffries that's that's what they're called they made the tubes so they could use them how short would they have to be because I'm sure if uh, they let TNG go on long enough they would find a leprechaun planet <laughs> and it would and it would it would be at the very end of something called the rainbow nebula right hold on a minute I'm just checking something now because you brought something up that I I find amazing is 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 it possible was Warwick Davis never in Star Trek no way Warwick Davis is in everything <laughs> that's what I'm thinking like Warwick Davis must have been in Starfleet uh, Star Trek at some point I don't want this podcast to turn into a litigation issue um, <laughs> so I, what I'm not going to say is that Warren Davis started an agency for little people, actors, to get gigs and then took them all himself. I'm not going to say that, because uh, that would be conjecture on my part. But yeah, I'd be very surprised. No, well, I guess, what, what chance would he have had to have been in Star Trek? Well, he was in the he was in Jedi. Yeah. So, which was ages ago, so I'm, I'm scrolling. I'm scrolling. 83. And I think he was like he's, 12, if I remember correctly. No, well, he'd already done the well, he'd already done Return of the Jedi and two Ewok-related spin-offs. Uh, and Labyrinth. And Willow. Hold uh, on a fucking the time, minute. The Ewok-related spin-offs, what, the animated ones? Uh, no, he's in... Uh, uh, yeah, no, yeah, they would be the animated ones. Uh, Caravan of Courage an Ewok adventure and Ewoks the Battle of End- Battle for Endor but then why because he does the voice I guess no way there's no way Warwick Davis does the voice of Wicket the Ewok was Caravan of Courage an Ewok adventure animated because be- I'm looking at I believe so maybe they weren't I'm looking I'm looking at a poster uh, no it fucking wasn't oh, it was oh. live action He, yeah he's in it are they they're not canon though are they um, what is particularly amusing about the IMDb page is that the Ewoks, the Battle for Endor, the image they've got is taken from the German release. Um, so it's Kampf und Endor. <laughs> 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 but that's a difficult read. 
Yeah, Wicket's uh, Wicket's book, Mine Endor. Uh, they write in prison <laughs> after they failed Ewok uprising. Um, talking about German, so so you know how uh, when Disney decided to make Tarzan, they yeah. called up Phil Collins and they said, "How many songs would you like to sing on the Tarzan soundtrack, Mister Collins?" And he replied, "How many do you have?" Um, <laughs> he. Was he also uh, he he not only sang the so all of the songs in Tarzan, he also dubbed them into other languages. He also sang them in South American Spanish, uh, Castellanian Spanish, the, the European Spanish, uh, German oh, right. and Italian. Okay. He doesn't speak those languages. He just learned enough of them to sing his own songs. Is that like how Jackie Chan didn't speak English for like 15 years and they just held up boards with phonetically written what he needed to say were his lines? And then and then it got to a point where he, he kind of picked up enough English to muddle through because he's like, at this point, it's getting offensive to the to people I'm working with that I can't hold a conversation. I mean, uh, <laughs> the thing is, at least the songs in Tarzan, like the bits of German he would have learned... The songs in Tarzan are, are actually kind of useful in everyday conversation. Like, he walks up to a German person with a picture of a toilet and says, I want to know, can you show me? <laughs> <laughs> and then he's looking uh, for an English bar, so he holds up just a picture of, like, a guy in an England top and says, uh, tell me more about these strangers like me. <laughs> and other such lyrics from the soundtrack of Tarzan. Laura will be irritated if I don't do a third example. Right, so what... <laughs> what songs are in Tarzan, right? Uh, I want to know, can you show me... Something... Oh, I'll be hearing your heart. Oh, that's when he was a heart surgeon. Um, right, okay. And the patient, uh, uh, the patient was like, uh, Voin, Voin Deutsch? I don't speak uh, Deutsch. But, he, but what that means is, what are you going to be doing? And he just pointed to his chest and says, I'll be hearing your heart. And then he put the mask on. So that the guy fell asleep. He was really lucky that he did learn that skill later on because before that, the only word that uh, Phil Collins knew how to say in every language was susudio, which is uh, limited <laughs> usefulness. Um, uh, <laughs> but weirdly, it's the same in every language. And it means <laughs> the, the lyric from the song susudio. <laughs> right. Anyway, this episode of Star Trek, I thought this was a banging episode. Um, uh, great social issues, great social issues, and great adventurous plot. Yeah. Um, so there's a bloke. He's going to escape. The planet wants to join the Federation, and when they turn up, they go, "Ah, oh, prisoners escaped," and he manages to get on board the Enterprise, basically. Um, and I quite like the fact that they, one, when he, they beam him in, uh, he absolutely batters the security team who's there uh, to take him down. Um, O'Brien, watch. O'Brien nearly gets him. <laughs> yeah. I, I've written down here, uh, no danger O'Brien here, guy's got a piece, not even bothered. <laughs> so the guy materialises with a gun in his hands, beats up two other security officers, and then Chief O'Brien, the transporter room chief, takes him out. Basically. Yeah. Uh, um, I, the only thing missing from this scene was that when he beamed in, O'Brien should have taken uh, a, a, the bottle of whatever he was drinking and broken it on the console. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to, to, to as, as a man about to marry himself into an Irish family, I don't want to characterise the Irish completely as just lunatic alcoholics. Uh, so I'm going to denounce that joke. What I will say, however, is that if, <laughs> if he had beamed into 10 forward, he would have been fucked. <laughs> Yeah, it, just, it would have been a conversation like O'Brien just going, oh, it's all right, he's subdued. I guess, define subdued, O'Brien. Well, he's on fire. Uh, <laughs> How subdued um, is he? Well, uh, the glass, uh, the, the fucking pint of Guinness I just hit him with, you can still see the shamrock uh, <laughs> that Guinan insists on doing, even though she knows it bugs the shit out of me. Uh, <laughs> um, oh, I've, I've just, sorry, asked my notes. Not only this guy who beamed in, not only is he in Cliffhanger, I've just spotted this. He was a voice actor in Red Dead Redemption 2. Good for him. Yeah. Uh, uh, but yeah, no, I, lo I love him because it's like you can't detect his life signs. Uh, and then it's like they say, like he's 
like been experimented on. Basically, he's been super soldier serum, and yeah. he's been given Winter Soldier stuff. But instead of having like a thing that clicks him into murder mode, um, anytime he perceives a threat of the slightest type, he responds by going into full on. Un- I believe they 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 reference uncontrollable violence. Yeah. Um, at which point, Worf becomes. F- <laughs> when that is said, Worf gets fully erect. <laughs> <laughs> Wolf loves this guy. Like, he's enjoying himself so much. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, he manages to shake off a transporter at one point. Because if they, they need to turn off the... Right, this is a question I've got. Because this is another case of this can't be how that works. Yeah. You can't beam through shields. That, I know. Yeah, that's fine. That. Yeah. Fine. Get that. They have to take the shield down in the like brig to beam him out why does the shield in the brig go all the way around it why doesn't it just go over the door and they can beam him out from the other side um I guess to just in case he tries to dig through the wall with a spoon yeah yeah exactly yeah <laughs> I remember spoon proof walls I remember one time I went to the the V and A, right, the Victoria and Albert Museum in London, uh, with my friend Scott, and I walked into this room and I was like, "Oh, this is fancy," because uh, I th- I, th- I, lo- I love thinking out loud to myself. I went, "Oh, this is fancy," <laughs> and I went over to the person whose job it is to explain what the fuck is happening, and I said, "What the fuck is happening?" Um, and he went, "Oh, uh, this." I think I've told this story before. But he went, oh, this is a room from the Palace of Versailles. And I went, right. oh, cool. Like uh, like what, like what, an exact replica? And he went, no, no, no. No, this is a room from the Palace of Versailles. So they, they built like walls around uh, the, the that room and then transported it over to London. So when I started this uh, story, I was sure I was going to find some relevance uh, <laughs> to what we were talking about. But unfortunately, that, that just didn't happen. But I, I imagine that there's shields, yeah, all the way around it. Right, okay. Just think... That seems... But that means you, know, you, ne- you never know... You, look, you never know when you're going to beam a guy onto the Enterprise who is, A, strong enough to beat his way through a prison cell and, B, <laughs> also take out a Bobby O'Brien. Because those things are less mutually exclusive than you might think. It's a very fine overlap on that Venn diagram. Uh, <laughs> but um, I, I love this guy. Like, all, of his, uh, all of his little plans to escape and stuff make sense. I really like that. Like yeah. When he, he, break, he's like, he goes after like one of the... He makes it very clear that he's trying to get into Cargo Bay 2. And then he like steals uh, a, a, a spacesuit. So they think he's got it there. But actually, what he's done is just hidden behind a box with the spacesuit. So everyone leaves the room. And that's, that's a fucking genius. genius. Respect that move. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if you were... Um, let's say that, 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 that Wesley's driving, right? And Picard <laughs> says to him, uh, how, how far until Centauri uh, Minor or whatever? And, and Wesley says, uh, about eight hours. And then Picard turns round to, who's wait? Who's the who's the science officer at the in the bridge? Is there one? Not data. Data, right? He turns round to data, and he's like, "Data, what have we currently got going on?" And data's like, "Uh, not a whole lot, Captain." To be perfectly honest with you, and then Picard just like clasps his hands together, gets his big big old French smile on his face, and says, "Right, it's time for a classic game of hide and seek. Where where do you go?" Right. Okay, so Data's got to hide. Yeah, every right. every everybody hides. And Data's got to find them. <laughs> oh, is it Data? Who do you think would be the most fun? Worf, it's Worf. Worf has to find you. Yeah, Worf has <sighs> to find you. See, um, we could get Jordy to do it, but... No, Jordy's too hard. Yeah, because he can see like, through walls he... and shit. Yeah, so yeah. no, none of that. Uh, so yeah, you, let, you go with Worf. That's Aye. my thing. Right. Yeah. Right. Where would I hide? Yeah. Um, I would do. I see. This is. I. I'd steal from the other science fiction franchise. Get myself in a shuttle. Get outside and just sit it on the back of the Enterprise. 
Ooh. Yeah. That's pretty Nice good. and easy. Yeah. Yeah. Or just in a cupboard. Uh, I don't <laughs> Yeah. That's... I would um I would either put myself in the transporter uh what is it called? The bundle, the the, the buffer, the transporter buffer. Or oh, yeah. uh, I would just stand directly behind Wharf at all times. Because <laughs> um Michael Dawn is a big man, he looks like he has a big a big turning radius. And famously, Cleons have a very poor peripheral vision. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, I was going to say, um, I've got written down here. So this guy is guilty of apparently eighty-four murders, but they don't say how many of those were in this war that they were fighting. But also, eighty-four murders isn't that many. That's about a John Wick movie. Yeah. Because um, I know that by the end of John Wick Three, he was up to two hundred and ninety-nine. Murders because I was watching a video about how he'd end up with a death toll of over 300, and uh, unless he only killed one person in John Wick 4, which would be mental. <laughs> that movie's three hours long. Imagine, imagine it was just a therapy session when at the very end John Wick kills his therapist. No, someone else kills his therapist. And then John, and then John Wick 5 is getting revenge for his therapist. Yeah. And his therapist, his therapist, his name was uh, uh, Gordon My Dog. <laughs> and John's holding the gun, uh, whoever he's caught for it, and says, you killed my dog. Guy's like, no, oh, that was three movies ago. <laughs> <laughs> have, have, you, uh, have you seen John Wick 4? No. Because, it, one, it's great. Yeah. But two, um, I, I saw a thing with the directors and... Apparently, the timeline from John Wick's dog being murdered to the end of John Wick Four is like maybe six months. <laughs> yeah, the first three are like a week. <laughs> yeah, John Wick's crazy murder week. <laughs> um, I went to see the John Wick trilogy at the Prince Charles with two guys who'd never seen John Wick before. Oh, I, I'd seen John Wick one and two. So even I got to be pleasantly surprised how by the by John Wick three, every single person on earth is a hitman. <laughs> I love that. Very quickly in the first John Wick movie, they have the police turn up at John Wick's house, and they're like, "Oh, you back, John?" And it's like, "All right, the police are corrupt, therefore you don't need to worry." And they were very much, "You don't need to worry about what the police are doing for the rest of this film, or as it would turn out." Any of this. <laughs> <laughs> That's it, man. Like, I, I mean, I was gonna, I don't really think John Rep, John Rep, John Wick gets a, a particular rep. I, 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 I don't. It's not seen as like this kind of mindless action franchise by anyone I've ever spoken to. They either have very little opinion on it, or they really enjoy it. But John Wick is, it's like a, it's a pretty tight script. I mean, very little of it makes sense. From a in the sense point of view, but <laughs> all of it makes sense from a John Wick point of view. You know how in whatever the, oh, I, I just want to say something about John Wick Four, which yeah. is going to make you delighted. You know how whenever there is a decision to be made in a John Wick script, the decision is always what is the most awesome thing we can do. Yeah, right. Do you know that Danny Young is in John Wick Four? Oh. Did you know he's playing a blind swordsman? <laughs> <laughs> There's literally no reason he needs to be blind. No. Not at all for the script of the movie. Except they went, that looked cool, wouldn't it? Yeah. Do they, do they team him up with uh, Ruby Rose, who's deaf? <laughs> Unfortunately not. Um, um, in, in, the, in the universe of John Wick, uh, the so we will get back to this episode of Star Trek... But it's very much the John Wick of episodes of Star Trek. Yeah, but. and also look, <laughs> we've been talking about Star Trek for for over fifty episodes now. We have very little to say about the characters anymore until the characters themselves start doing interesting things. Uh, so we're, we're going to talk about John Wick for a bit. Um, yeah, you know how in uh, in, in John Wick uh, the assassins uh, they're all assassins. Everyone's a hitman, and they kill people, and then they get like gold coins yeah yeah how <laughs> like as far as I can tell those gold coins are only really useful for exchanging for stays at that hotel 
Yeah. Now, Stays in assassin hotels. I don't know. I don't, like, I've been in some swanky hotels in my life, uh, like, through work and, like, just through connections and hanging out with people and things like that, right? But um, I don't, I don't, no, I'm not going to say I, I don't, I, I know. Uh, I don't think there's a hotel out there swanky enough that could pay me and stays there to murder people. <laughs> but then at the same time, does that just come down to uh, my low self-confidence and my ability to murder people? Yeah, the, the, you don't have the training that John Wick has. And you don't live in a world where everyone is a murderer. Um, yeah. Because in the John Wick world, you don't have to feel bad about yeah, killing people. I'm not a people. woman. <laughs> you don't have to feel bad about killing people in the John Wick world. like Because every person you kill is a murderer. By, by definition. Like, by the time you... Basically, in the, the world John Wick inhabits, right? By the time... Your first year at primary school... It's only anticipated that half the class will make it, right? Yeah. <laughs> and they'll, be, they'll have been killed by the other half, much like the American yeah. school system. But <laughs> so this, this guy, I mean, this guy is kind of the John Wick of the Star Trek universe. Yeah, yeah, he's a highly, highly motivated. And, and also, we should point out, there's loads of them. Like, he's from... Oh, there's, they, they, they say he's escaped from a prison colony, and then later on you learn in the episode that it's a prison colony specifically built for John Wick Winter Soldiers that they made for this war. Yeah. Um, and then they, like... And, and the worst thing is, like, they... I love the conversation later on with uh, old Judge Cromwell's character, where they're like, well, can't you, like, get psychologists to, like, like deprogram them? Do, like, a Wakanda on them. Uh, and they're like... Well, no, what if we need them again? I'm like, oh, yeah. you bastards. <laughs> and, and look, right, I get it. I'll point this out now because otherwise uh, we'll get comments after all my crimes come to light and people go back and listen to these uh, just, just, just to see, just to try and get into the mind of me. Um, I, I, obviously, this is based on soldiers coming back from Vietnam. Yeah. Which is yeah. what the song Born in the USA is about. Uh, yes. Which the USA used as their theme at the 2012 Olympics, <laughs> <laughs> which is a song about uh, Americans uh, who are very highly trained sent overseas to use and learn skills that will be essentially useless to them when they come back into society. Yeah, um, and also not giving them the psycholo- giving them the psychological training to disassociate to the point that you could kill a man. And then not thinking it might be an idea to, you know, undo that a bit before you bring them back. What Olympic sport do you think <laughs> trains people to be the most efficient killers? Biathlon. <laughs> Is that gun and skiing? Yep. Because <laughs> I was going to say javelin, but... <laughs> The problem is, you, you would need to, in order to be in order to be a very effective javelin assassin, you would always need to be <laughs> you'd always need to be quite a specific distance away. Like you couldn't yeah. do it when the person was too close, and you really couldn't do it when the person was too far away. I I disagree. I reckon if if I if you're an Olympic level javelin thrower and you throw a javelin at me, and I'm four foot away. I don't reckon I survive. <laughs> I could definitely, I could I could definitely survive a hammer throw. Because I, I would see them turning round. Yeah, no, and that's, that's when I, that's when I'd start running in a zigzag pattern. That's why if you're going to kill someone using uh, the hammer, yeah. you need to have an accomplice who's going to stand in front of you. Basically, you need a curtain in front of you and an accomplice with a rope, so you can spin around behind it. And then when they they pull back, that's when you let go. So the person's got no time to react. Like a curtain goes up, and they get whacked with a hammer. Aye, or exactly. It, or, or, or just use a claw hammer, walk up, bang. <laughs> uh, did you notice that Data really put his foot down on the pronunciation of the word sensor? Because <laughs> yes, everybody else was saying sensor. Yeah. And then Data and wasn't was in... having any of that. No, sensor. No, sensor. Yeah. And then all of a sudden everyone was in line. I, I like that he pops in to have a chat with like trained killer to be like, oh, this is unusual. I'm trying to learn about the human experience. You're a bit baffling. Explain yourself. Otherwise, like, oh, this is odd enough. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna tell this guy. I'm either gonna kill myself 
Uh, he goes, I'd kill myself except the fact that, that my programming literally won't allow me to do that. So instead, I'm going to try to die. <laughs> um, one thing I've, I've got in my notes, Mark, um, and I've noticed this because I've got a one word in here underlined. And that's because when Picard goes to talk to uh, James Cromwell about what's been done with these people and why they've been put in a place, um, he says that the decision to put these people in a big penal colony on the moon was the result of a referendum. Uh, yeah. Uh, I've got that word underlined. and I'm just saying, maybe the people weren't informed enough to make a fucking proper choice. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> My least favourite thing about the word referendum is that you that really sneaks up on you. Yeah. It's got no business being there. That's an oh. R and R an E-based word. The you in the word referendum to me feels like the people who say could of. Oh, it just feels wrong. I don't it, like it. If you, if you, uh, in a weird way, I'd be, all, I'd be all right with an A. I'd be all right with an A. That's yeah. what we called it in Scotland. Referendum. Because <laughs> I think the U is the vowel that's furthest from the E. Uh, yeah, in the Val family, and the family noises. Uh. <laughs> I think it's kind of ironic talking about it because obviously the, the the referendum, the recent I say recent seven years ago, mate. Yeah, um, the uh, the ref- the referendum in, in on Brexit uh, compared to the referendum on Scottish independence. Basically, both come down to the voters not really understanding what they were voting for, but for very different reasons. <laughs> Which yeah. I, w- I would say the Scottish people were a lot more informed, but the problem is we had no idea what you fucking lunatics would do immediately after it. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and to be clear, I mean, as soon as Scotland gets independence, I'm, I'm starting a campaign for London to get it. Uh, so, because we all voted Remain. Uh, fucking yeah. hell enough about that Star Trek yes um, I really like the end of this episode me too where yeah like the Picard the, the, the guys get loose they get, like, launch an assault on the capital they get all the people there and then Picard's like right well here's your choices you can start a fight with these people which they'll win <laughs> or you can talk to them and have a sensible grown up conversation but either way uh, Prime Directive Peace. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> I love a good prime directive. Fuck you. And Me then, too. and then afterwards, Riker's like, "Oh, do you think their society will survive?" And like, because like, oh, I don't know if it deserves to. They'll find out now. <laughs> yeah. He just says he just uh, he he takes a cigarette out of his mouth, throws it down on the carpet, squishes it, and he says, "Who cares?" <laughs> he fucks off. Yeah, he doesn't even he doesn't even smoke. He just has cigarettes that he likes because he likes making more work for the people who clean the carpet. <laughs> you never Do you see think the Enterprise has cleaners. I was going to say this. You never see janitorial staff, no. and even if you do, there's still the question of like they've got to exist. But also, because there's carpet everywhere on the Enterprise, right? Yeah. So somebody's got a Hoover, and that includes the the bridge. So I'd love to see an episode of Star Trek where they have to go to Red Alert while somebody's hoovering on the bridge. Because <laughs> <laughs> I am, um, it might not seem it to the people who know me, but I like a bit of a clean. <laughs> Depending on what I'm doing, like I, because I, my particular, like if I if I fell asleep today. And uh, miraculously woke up in the twenty fourth century, twenty twenty third century. Yeah, and they were like, "Good morning, market Star Trek times." I'd be like, "Great, uh, can I be on the Enterprise?" They're like, oh, "You're not really qualified for anything that we do on the Enterprise anymore, because uh, all your actual qualifications are in the production of a medium that no longer exists." <laughs> and other than that, basically everything else, you know has come from YouTube binges at 3am so you know we, we, we can't we can't can't really let you be a be an ops or an engineering I'll be like I'll, I, I reckon I could be a janitor on the Enterprise 
But here's the thing. I don't reckon you could. So, right, let me explain. Let's not dig at you. The Enterprise is the flagship. Aye. Right? So it's the best of the best. No, right? you're right. I couldn't do it. Yeah, so you're going you're gonna to be up against the best of the janitorial division of Starfleet has to offer. Yeah. Right? And and now I'm starting to talk about this. I've, why is this not a show? Yeah. Like, like, what are your like? What are your skills? Like, so for example, Guinan. We can assume Guinan is the best bartender that the Federation has to offer. Yeah, and I and I buy that. Buy that. She's played by Whoopi Goldberg very and well. Obviously, <laughs> solidarity to our custodian brothers and sisters out there. You're one of the most important people in any business. Uh, yeah. So it's yeah, it's not a. It's certainly not a. a degradation by any means but um no you're right i don't think i could be a good enough janitor to be on the enterprise um, <laughs> no yeah i'm not saying you couldn't join the jan like in, in the future if you could i'm not saying you wouldn't be able to thrive in the janitorial division of starfleet i'm yeah. just saying aim lower than the flagship That's... i could get on the farragut <laughs> yeah yeah fucking cut, the cut was on that. yeah the stargazer yeah 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 <laughs> put me on one that's slightly smaller so there's less things to do that, that attitude will be why they didn't let me on the Enterprise. <laughs> you see, the, the problem is, like, if I suddenly got transported to the future, my primary skills are in that I could transfer to that environment are in the lifting and carrying of things. Yeah. Which, you know, I'm, I'm, there's, there's a transporter now. That's not needed. It's like, it's like, I can't ask everybody, oh, can you transport everything in slightly further away than it needs to be? So that I have a reason to exist. <laughs> My skills would be, um, if I was sitting in 10 forward and somebody spilled a drink, I would immediately know to run to the replicator and ask for blue roll. <laughs> and like a big like a big roll of it to to, un, to unwind onto the floor to let it all soak up. Um, do you think that the replicator... Like, do you think if somebody vomits on the carpet, the replicator makes good enough sawdust to absorb it? <laughs> Replicators can make anything. But here's my question. Do you even need to... Right. Is it possible that instead of hoovering, they just beam all the dirt off? I don't know. This is yeah. the problem. It's never addressed. Like, in, like, this is the thing. Star Trek obviously pisses all over Star Wars for, like, like an actual conceptual universe that works properly. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. But... In Star Wars, there are those like little droids that go around that I assume are cleaning up stuff. <laughs> yeah, like they're they're there, they're in the background, they're just doing things, and it's just like, I, I feel good that like, at some point somebody should have put one of those into Star Trek. Just been like, like there should be at least, like, is there a Roomba? <laughs> yeah, but do you do you do do you do like a Flintstones situation where it's constantly passive aggressively complaining? <laughs> What it kind of, little robot comes out of thing comes over somebody sweeps up pours sawdust on it lets it dry for a bit sweeps it all up scrubs the carpet looks up and goes yeah it's a living yes <laughs> and and do you know what I would want is the way that they used to do robots in cartoons which is it'll be a little box on wheels uh, that rolls up to the to the sick right uh, that Jordy has probably spewed up um, and oh, out Brian. of it pops two really thin little arms with white cartoon hand gloves on the end uh, and like a yeah. dustpan and brush. Yep. Yeah, so it's not like a hoover, it's just a, it's just a little pair of arms that put it in. And then Jordy, who's leaning against the wall over where he's just been sick, looks down, sees a pair of arms and is like, how could I get that back to my fucking quarter? <laughs> no, don't be silly. Jordy would do the logical thing, which is go... And flirt with a version of that droid on the holodeck. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Do you think you could replicate a decent flashlight? <laughs> I think Geordie's written several papers on the issue. Do you think you uh, could? Do you think you could ask for one of the ones? You know, like one of the specialist flashlights, like the one that's like uh, the flashlight, but it's the sole of a foot. <laughs> I, I I I thought you were going to say the one that Worf uses is the soul of a vanquished enemy, <laughs> but that's 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 conceptual on a level that I can't comprehend. Yeah, uh, 
I don't understand that foot fleshlight, man, because feet on their own are already pretty useful uh, in the old carnal arts. I, I don't need a vagina on them as well. No, it's I feel, like, it's I, feel, the... I feel like you've severely misunderstood my order, Mr. Miyamoto. <laughs> <laughs> now, anyway... <laughs> About that Tetris movie. <laughs> We've told you before, Mr. O'Neill, we neither have the rights to Tetris, <laughs> nor do we make flashlights here. We simply bought you one to make you go away. We don't understand how you keep getting this number. Oh, What you don't want is the Tetris flashlight, because when you put your dick in that, it fills the gap and everything disappears. <laughs> Oh, disgusting. Uh, overall, great app. Great episode. Uh, I'll, give, uh, I'll give a promotion to O'Brien. Um, uh, uh, as as per? Yep. As per. Not not in any way. It would have been... I, I quite like the fact as well. One more thing I've got to talk about is that when the guy beams in, two security officers are waiting to go at him. And O'Brien stays behind his little, like, pat, his little post for... Probably a solid ten seconds longer than he should have. <laughs> like, oh, they've got this. Have they? Oh, maybe not. I don't oh, think. I don't think it's a. They've got this. <laughs> I think it's more of a. I'll wait and see if they've got this because if they don't, I have. Yeah, it's an intimidation technique. And then he nearly does. Yeah. Uh, but it's very He was a, at this point. He's a veteran of the 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 uh, the Cardassian Wars which will not ever be mentioned until, I think, season four of this, when they want to invent the Cardassians. <laughs> I'm glad that it's finally time to give O'Brien a violence-based promotion. <laughs> Rather than what usually happens, which is he gets a violence-based telling off. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, no, actually, there's nobody really fucks up in this episode. I can't yeah, offer no a demotion. No. Everybody handles things pretty well. Picard does a sexy bit of diplomacy. Yeah, it's a pacey sort of actiony episode that could. It, it, this is the kind of episode in Star Trek that could exist without having like the bigger social questions around it. Yeah, but it does have that nice social question, and that's yeah. kind of like the extra bit you thing you get with Star Trek that you don't get with your normal sci-fi. Of like, oh, what are the ethics of this? I mean, this yeah. one's a bit fucking clear cut. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not really a both sides issue on this one. It's like, no, you made an army of killer men, <laughs> or as 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 you, you, you trained a bunch of people to kill. Like, and as Kent Brockman says, you call it the army, we call it the killbot factory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you made an army of killers that you yourself were not willing to kill. So yeah, yeah, you done if you, fucked up, if you, Jim. If <laughs> If if you're gonna make an army of killers, right? Look, you learned your lesson from the uh, Marvel universe in how to create your killers. You went a soldier them, but what you needed to learn was the lessons from the DC universe, which is you need to suicide squad them as well. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. All, but, all yeah, in all, yeah. pretty good. Good episode. Yeah. yeah. You, you, if you watch this, you enjoy it. It's a good one. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Well, uh, bye. Bye. The Captain's Slog is performed by Mark O'Neill and Eddie Edwards. You can follow both of them on Twitter and Instagram. Mark's at RealMarkO'Neill and Eddie is at Ed Edwards Comedy. If you like the podcast, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter and now on YouTube at Captain Slog. And we have a Facebook page as well. Or if you really like what we do here, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Captain Slog. <laughs>